Sex Will Travel has partnered with Studio Headphones to offer our listeners a 15% discount off of any Studio product. Just use the code WILLTRAVEL. And welcome to XX Will Travel. I'm Inez Bellina. And I'm Kathy Pokerbeck. And we are joined today with Eileen Tull. Yeah. <laughs> with Eileen Tull. I'm so excited to have her here. So, Eileen Tull is an arts educator, storyteller, and one woman show person. She has performed throughout the country from San Francisco to New York City, including the San Francisco Fringe Festival, New Seats Festival, United Solo the Cincy Fringe, the Minnesota Fringe Festival, and the Dallas Solo Festival. Her work has been seen all over Chicago in theaters, bookstores, art galleries, bars, and other non-traditional spaces. Eileen co-curates Sappho Salon at Women and Children First Bookstore, a semi-monthly performance series for female-identifying artists exploring gender, sexuality, and feminism. She is a drama instructor with the Chicago Park District, and her work as a creative artist was recognized by the White House in 2016. What? Which is really a huge honor. I really have to specify what year it was. Yes. (laughs) I'm glad you did. That that says more about you as a person, really. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a clear divide between being recognized in 2016 and being recognized in 2018. Well, if, if the current White House could recognize artists at all, much less honor them and and support them, that would be great, but they don't. Right. (laughs) So, uh, welcome, Eileen! And we asked Eileen to come because she recently completed her first solo trip to Paris, and we want to hear all about it. But she also did it as someone who is sober. Um, She has struggled with addiction issues. She is now in recovery. And we thought it would be interesting to talk to her about what it means to travel um, as a sober traveler. Mm -hmm. We are really excited to have you here and to share your story. So let's just start from the beginning. Like, What inspired you to go to Paris? Well, it was something that I always wanted to do. I have never been to Europe before, and I've traveled just a little bit throughout the United States and Canada. But... I'd always wanted to go to Paris mostly because of movies and watching movies, uh, you know, cartoons and and live action movies where Paris is just this really magical, beautiful place. I mean, I think about like the Aristocats and the Audrey Hepburn movie Charade and the end of the great race and, and all of these movies where Paris is just this like gorgeous ball of light, the most beautiful city in the world. Um, so I'd sort of idealized it in my head. For the past four or five years, I've been like, next year I'm going to go to Paris. And the next year would come, and I wouldn't plan a trip. I wouldn't buy a plane ticket. I wouldn't pack my bags, and I wouldn't go. (laughs) Part of it is I'm finally in a place where I'm very lucky to be financially capable of doing such a thing. And then one day I was was at work, and I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I bought my tickets, and I was like, okay, I guess I'm really going to Paris. Uh, so it was kind of just a decision of like, I, I deserve to do the thing I want to do. Yeah. Right? And that plane ticket is the first step because, you know, once you get there, if you don't follow through, you're going to be sleeping on the streets. So <laughs> right. what better incentive? Exactly. Yeah, it exactly. definitely gives you a sense of urgency yes. <laughs> and a deadline. <laughs> so what were some of the highlights of your Paris trip? Well, I had a very interesting 
time in that I was I had bought my plane tickets, you know, to work around my job and I had bought them for a four day trip because of the airline that I chose, which shall remain nameless unless you wanna message me and I'll tell you exactly what airline it was. I ended up staying for another week and a half. Whoa. Yeah. So How I, did that happen? <laughs> so I got stranded. I went to the airport after my my four days. So beautiful, magical. I saw the Eiffel Tower. I went to the Louvre and I was like, oh, this is such a beautiful trip to Paris. I walked along the Seine and I sat in cafes and I saw Monet's water lilies and I was like, oh, wow, really crammed that trip in, you know, this beautiful few days in Paris. Went to the airport, stood in line for my flight and they said, anyone flying to Chicago? And I said, oh, that's me and a couple other people. And they had like herded us into this little hallway and they said, oh, your flight's been canceled. You're gonna have to go outside the airport and then come back in and talk to the person at the desk. Okay, bye, bye, <gasps> bye. Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> so all of us, strangers, none of us knew each other. We were sort of like, okay. So we hustled down to the desk and uh, by the time I got to the desk, they said there are no more flights and for a few days. And I was like, well, that's crazy. And then they sent me, they were like, go to this, ho- go to the airport hotel. Here's a voucher. And so I just kind of just went where they told me to go. And in order to get a new plane ticket, I had to call a customer service and I didn't have a phone that would work. So I had to call, use the phone at the hotel. And it was this whole big thing. By the time I got to the hotel phone and got on the phone with customer service, they didn't have any more flights for a week and a half. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, and the only flights that would have been available were $3,000, you know, rebook kind of like three layovers whatever and I was like well I don't have three thousand dollars to just kind of book a one-way ticket so um yeah I I laid in the in the hotel room in the the airport hotel in the middle of nowhere right near the uh Charles de Gaulle airport and I facetimed my mom and just sobbed and I was like what do I what's happening but I'm very lucky that the people that I was staying with were uh, very kind, and I, I sent them a message and told them what was happening, and they said, come on back. Aww. Yeah, so I ended up having this kind of extra week and a half in Paris. It was such a strange thing because it was like, well, what what, what, what have you been dreaming about your whole life? What do you want to see? Have you, you have unlimited time in the city of Paris. Um, so I ended up going to almost every museum, I ended up going to Versailles. I went to uh, a tour of Montmartre and the artist neighborhood. I just like sat, sat in cafes and wrote. Oh. I did, just kind of did all these things and took my time doing it. So that was a really big highlight, was just kind of like now having the time to walk around the city of Paris yeah. and explore. So. And it's also what you call a baptism by fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It was like, all right, well, here's, you know, Here's my two weeks of like now having to having to be Parisian. So yeah, I would say my favorite things that I saw were uh, Versailles was amazing. It was unbelievable, just the grandness of it, and the palace. And there's the palace gardens, and I took a historical tour. The Hall of Mirrors is the place where the Treaty of Versailles was signed, which uh, ended World War One, and they have like the actual little table that it was signed on, and I got very emotional in front of this little <laughs> table. Uh, and all of these Australian people were like, I don't know why she's crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I think my, my very favorite, the best place I went was the Monet Museum, uh, which is not 
Giverny, which uh, is a little town outside of Paris where he lived and worked. It's like a museum just that I kind of was like, oh, I'll go check it out. And it was just the most beautiful. It had his private collection in it from where it was like, oh, he collected some pieces from, you know, some of his friends uh, like Renoir or mm-hmm. Kaibot. And you're like, oh, okay, his buddies who were also like the most talented artists of the day. All of his works were in the basement. His painting that's called Impression Impressions mm-hmm. is the painting that the Impressionist movement is named after. So yeah, it was very, a lot of really like really cool nerd stuff that I was really excited about <laughs> were the highlights. Wow, <laughs> and, and it pretty much like the beginning of any good rom com. That story, <laughs> yeah, no, stranded in Paris. That's yeah. like kept being like I, I was doing the hashtag trapped in Paris. And a lot of people were like, oh, well, this is the rom-com. And I tried to do French Tinder. <laughs> do you mean Tinder? Yeah, Tinder. I was French Tinder. <laughs> it was very similar to American Tinder in which a lot of dudes will be like, hey, hi. And that's it. And then I'm like, all right, well, I don't really, yeah. there's not a lot of conversation here. Did you at least get like... Uh, salut or a bonjour. Because my my Tinder bio was like traveling, like I'm from Chicago, but I'm traveling in Paris, like looking not to get murdered, but looking to kiss people. (laughs) So I (laughs) I was like, I just want to be straight up honest. Like I don't want to get murdered, but like I'll kiss you. So I got a lot of guys that were, you know, kind of joking about that, but nobody, only person that I actually kind of connected with in conversation, it was like the day before I left. So, and then he was, it was kind of like, I guess I could push this to see if I could be like, I'll go to your apartment. And then since I was staying with people, I was like, I don't want to go home to some random French stranger's house. Like, yeah. this is why dating is the worst, no matter <laughs> where you are, because there's always like, oh, I could, I could go out and potentially get murdered or I could stay home. Right. So I right. just chose to stay home. <laughs> Sometimes that's the best decision. Yeah. Still not murdered. 2018. Right? Like, I know. Good I, I know. This could have turned into a true crime podcast very quickly. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I honestly was like, I kept being like, oh, I should take a chance. I should, you know, do do some of these crazy things. And then I was like, uh, I don't want to get murdered. Because that's what Meg Ryan would do. I, but she also might get murdered. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like, but well, what Meg Ryan are we talking about, though? Is it rom-com Meg Ryan? Is this in the cut Meg yeah. Ryan? <laughs> uh, and she meets Kevin Klein on the plane, so, you know, there's a whole... Uh, I've, yes, French Kiss was definitely in my repertoire of, like, Parisian movies. That yeah. I, yeah. No one asked me to smuggle their little wine plant. <laughs> That's the weirdest double entendre I think I've ever come up with. Smuggle his wine plant. Anyway. <laughs> so, but this brings up an interest. Smuggling the wine plant. Segway. Yeah. Um, so I think when a lot of people think of Paris and traveling to Paris, they obviously think of art, they think of history, they think of French kisses, but they also think of wine. Yes. I mean, obviously, you you can't really escape it. Were you worried about that before going there? Yeah, it was definitely a concern, both in how I would be able to navigate the culture of Paris, but then also how I would be able to um, maintain my own feelings and maintain my sobriety. So, yeah, it was was something that I had thought about, and it was kind of a reason why I'd been dragging my feet, with going to Paris, um, and you know, part of the 
putting off the trip was I should wait until I have someone I want to travel with, whether Mm -hmm. that's like a friend to travel with or whether that's like, um, you know, go on my honeymoon after I meet the perfect person on Tinder. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Who did not murder you. Yes, (laughs) yes, I just looking, you know, just PSA out there for any man who's not looking to murder somebody (laughs) and is on Tinder. So it was, and and having another person just, you have safety Mm -hmm. in terms of, you have accountability, you have an extra pair of eyes, you have someone who can, in in my case, I like to have people that I trust around um, so that if I start to feel antsy, if I start to feel anxious, uh, I have someone that I can, you know, find respite in, especially when I know I'm gonna be in a situation that where my anxiety might be a little bit higher. So it was it was definitely something that I had to prepare for in a way. In terms of the the culture, I was I, I did some research and I was trying to figure out like I, I don't know any French, mm-hmm. so I went to Paris knowing very little French, and I was looking for phrases that I could, you know, communicate and say like no alcohol, please, you know, non-alcoholic, um, because I sort of had this idea in my head the worst case scenario would be people pushing alcohol on me and me feeling like it would be rude or to refuse it. And it is every alcoholic dream that it's like, you have to drink this. And it's like, oh, well, all right. Like, <laughs> if it's, it's going to save the world, I guess I have to drink this bottle of wine. So it was, yeah, it was kind of like preparing my vocabulary. Uh, the people I was staying with were, were aware. Uh, and it was a lot of like me telling myself that it's not, it's uh, as much fun as I could have in Paris, as much fun as I could have on any trip. It's not it's not worth it. It's not an option. I've traveled alone before within the United States. And I remember I, I took a trip to, um, I did a, a half marathon at Disney World. It's Star Wars themed. So that was, it was all very like <laughs> peak my brand. Um, and so I was like walking around the next day and there was, a, there's this really, there's this really cool bar in downtown Disney that's like, Indiana Jones themed. Oh my god. Wait, sorry. <laughs> Small interruption. Eileen has a whole one woman solo show based on her love for Indiana Jones. And Harrison Ford. He's still I mean, like, I was watching I was watching some of I think I was watching Indiana Jones, like with the kids that I work with, and he come he came on screen and I was just like, Yeah, still. Like after all this time, <laughs> always like he always gives me the butterflies in my stomach. <laughs> like, yeah. Look at me, I'm like, <laughs> I'm getting uh, I'm, uh, very yeah. a lot of feelings. Right, we're gonna have to bring out the smelling salts. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> like a fan, my love. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I do. So Indiana Jones bar in downtown Disney, yeah, was probably like the most tempting thing. Well, and it just it really sets off like a lot of different kinds of pleasure receptors I guess <laughs> oh um, so I bet they're intertwined too. yeah like, oh 100% Harrison Ford feeling <laughs> alcohol well and it's like any you know and I'm still sort of uh I'm, I'm almost uh I'm about four and a half years sober and and so it's been a, a long time but it's still something that you have to train yourself out of is like the the memory of how it feels to drink mm. and the memory of how you think it feels mm. and the mem- and and the, just the feeling of feeling good mm. how similar those can be and how intertwined they all can be I went into the bar because I was like oh I just want to see how they have it all dressed up 
And I thought to myself, it would be nice to sit down in here and have a drink and be kind of have the experience of being in this bar. But then I thought about the I like and I even I even um, needed to verbalize this. So I like took a video of myself saying it to myself where I was like, that would be really fun. That would be a cool thing. People do that all the time. But you would not be able to be here having just run a half marathon the day before if you still drank. You would you are not capable of living the life that you currently live with alcohol. So the idea of just having one drink is not even in my wheelhouse because one drink is is a, a bullet right. yeah. in a gun. So it's it's having to kind of remind yourself of like, well that seems really cool and chill and fun for other people and while I do wish that I was cooler and chiller and funner than I than I am sometimes it's just not an option. You know, I I have traveled with people when I was drinking and I know that that turned really ugly and so knowing that especially when I was by myself, especially traveling on my own, it is kind of like, well, do I want to, you know, have a no- it really is kind of the same as French Tinder. Do I want to have like a cool normal night, or do I want to see if maybe I'm going to die tonight? Right. Because that's it's not funny. But because that's what taking a drink has to be for some for you know for me and for people like me is it it's you know you can think of it for some people it is just a nice refreshing thing for people without a problem. It's not. I don't even know how to describe it because I've never lived a life where alcohol isn't a problem for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a problem for everybody, but for me it is. I, it's a loaded gun, and as, as intense as that imagery is, uh, especially in the year 2018, it's like that's how I've had to really explain it to myself and to other people. I mean, I have a loaded gun in my pocket all the time. Right. I know exactly how to set it off. I know exactly what to do. And with alcohol, it is everywhere. Like, I could walk out right now and get a drink in 10 minutes because it's so available to us. But I have to know that I can't, it's not an option. I can't do it. So when traveling, like, it's a really, it sounds really intense, but it's just something, frankly, like, I live with it every day. And so being on vacation, especially being in a place like Paris, it's just kind of a heightened sense of that. And I got to say, too, I'm very lucky that I have a really great support system of friends and family who I know I can rely on. I can just, you know, kind of say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling anxious. And I know I have people who will kind of understand where I am and what that I just need somebody to, you know, be present for me. Um, so I'm really lucky that I have a, a lot of people. How do you yeah. think they viewed alcoholism? Like, I only know how we view it in right. the United States. Whether yeah. other countries' cultures acknowledge it's a problem or mm-hmm. have the same support system. Well, it was interesting because my actual, so my actual kind of uh, experience in Paris was I didn't feel pressure at all when I w- would go out. Like, you could drink, but I often uh, I went out a couple of times with with the people I was staying with, and then I also went out and, and ate dinner alone a lot. Um, and so I just ordered what I ordered. There was no like, oh, do you want to try this mm-hmm. wine? We have this great thing. I think part of it was the language barrier that I clearly didn't speak a lot of French. And, you know, some waiters and waitresses spoke more English than others. But it was like kind of pointing at things on the menu. And I think 
to, ha to have a conversation where they were going to convince me or we were going to argue about something was just kind of not on the table mm -hmm. um, just because of that. Yeah, it was it was interesting. It was not the problem that I thought it was going to be. Um, nobody, nobody pushed any of that on me. I will also say that I didn't go out at night mm -hmm. a lot because I it, I like filled my days so hard with museums and walking and tours and all that sort of thing that I would get back to uh, the apartment at like. 8 p.m. and I was like, "All right, I am gonna lie down and put everything on Instagram. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is all I got in my uh, left for my body right now." But yeah, the couple times I was out late, it just it wasn't it wasn't an issue. Mm -hmm. So I and I think part of it too is I didn't do a lot of socializing, um, and I tend not to do that anyway when I travel or even <laughs> even in my regular life. <laughs> uh, I have. You know, I think I have a healthy amount of social anxiety. Um, you know, it's we're like it's 2018. Everybody's kind of mentally ill uh, <laughs> at this point, <laughs> so it's like you know everyone's just got a lot of anxiety yeah. to go around. Um, so yeah, I don't really, I don't really like the idea of meeting new people at a bar or a restaurant. That's never been the way I like to meet people. I like mm -hmm. to meet people in like social situations or at parties or you know if you're at a I don't know, like at a, at a cultural event or something. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess like if I had been in more of those situations, it might have come up. Um, but yeah, it really didn't. It it just didn't pop into the world for me. Yeah. Uh, and because I wasn't pursuing like French wine, I didn't have to look at it. You know, it was kind of like I wanted to eat a lot of cheese mm -hmm. and yes. eat a lot of pastries and like. I was pretty set. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But they also, they had like a, a non-alcoholic drinks. Like they had slides of the menu that were non-alcoholic. Um, so it was pretty, it was pretty easy, I yeah. thought. But I also will say having done a lot of the like prep work before was imperative to that too. For sure. And yeah. so I guess some of that prep work included looking up to go to, to find an AA meeting. So what was that experience? Yeah. And how did you, how do you even go about finding one? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, Google. You Google like <laughs> AA meeting in blank in whatever city and hopefully you'll find something. Um, I think unfortunately in, in smaller towns there aren't as many options. But if you Google AA meeting in Chicago, you'll find a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. AA meeting in, you know, where I'm from in Cincinnati where I started going to AA. There's a ton of meetings every day, different, you know, different locations. I went to New York City for a show, and I was staying with someone in like Sleepy Hollow, the actual town of Sleepy oh, Hollow. Oh, yeah, I've, I've been to Sleepy yeah, Hollow. Yeah, yeah. And I googled. I was like, "Well, let me see how close we're." Yeah. AA meetings in Sleepy Hollow. There was like one every Tuesday night, and I was like, "Oh, good." Yeah. But I just I I started out going to AA. I am I'm not someone who is uh, so tied to to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but I did start out my, my career as an alcoholic, <laughs> as a recovering alcoholic, I should say. I, I started, and I think it's a really great resource for people who have no have uh, very little access to resources. It's, it's free. It's everywhere. It's uh, constant. So it's a really great way to kind of enter into the world of recovery. And that being said, the paths that stem off from AA... I feel like are also really great options mm -hmm. to each their own. But for me, it's like going to the doctor. It's 
you know, I need, you need your teeth cleaned every so often, and I need to go to AA every so often. And I, I try to look up where meetings are if I'm traveling just so I have the access to it. I, I, I actually didn't look it up before I, I went to Paris, but then when I had all this extra time, having the extra time was really great, but it was also a lot of anxiety. Yeah. It was me having to email my boss and say, you know how we were supposed to start the classes that I teach on Tuesday? Well, I'm still in France. It's Sunday night. Sorry. Like, I, there was a lot of anxiety about that, and I had to cancel a couple of shows and, and just do it, you know, kind of figure out, like, well, what do you do when you have a, a week and a half, like, totally upended? So I looked it up, and I, I would love to describe the location, but I don't. I feel like that would betray maybe the anonymous right. of, it, sure. of it. But I will say that it being in Paris, it was a very like deliciously macabre, <laughs> architecturally gorgeous space to be in. And yeah, so I kind of I walked in, and, and with every with every meeting, you walk in, and there are some people who are like, "Oh, hey, hey, we know each other, we know each other," and then there's strangers and people who are there for the first time. So I was very grateful to be there it's like going to church or going to a um saying the pledge of allegiance or something where you you know you know how this dance goes you have stability in it but it's like it's a familiarity with the language it's familiarity with the process uh so i was just really grateful for that again i feel like i feel like there's a lot of interesting experiences that happen at the meeting but for the respect of the people that were there you know can yeah. I ask you an important question and feel free to decline to answer it mm-hmm. if if you feel uncomfortable? How did the coffee compare and were there delicious pastries? <laughs> they were such better <laughs> such a better spread. I feel like everybody always kinda jokes, Oh yeah, coffee and donuts and coffee and cookies at AA meetings and I was like, Look, I've been to I've been to like maybe three meetings where there's been coffee and donuts. Most of the time it's like Come on in, sit at this table. And I was like, where's the glamour? Where's the <laughs> that's, that's why I asked too, because like yeah. maybe it's TV and movies, but you always see the coffee and donuts, and people are like, This coffee is terrible. Why do I keep coming back? Like it's a trope. Right, yeah. right. And it's I hate to say, at least in my experience, it's not super true. You don't get snacks. Um, a couple places like you like if you don't put in the two dollars for the cup of coffee, they're like, Oh, okay. Which I get, but yeah, it's um. So that's uh, I don't want to. Uh, that's a myth. A myth about AA is there's there's not in America anyway. There's not often a, a lot of snacks, but yeah, they had like all these different kinds of cookies, and they had coffee in a coffee maker. What? Yeah, they had all this stuff, and I was like, oh my god, I was really hungry too. So yeah. I was like, I know I'm new, but like I kind of went back up for a couple of. <laughs> You know, napkin full of cookies. Well, like, they're never going to see you again. They're, exactly. they're going to be, like, the cookie girl. <laughs> I know. Like, I, it was, it was kind of like, the nice thing is you can go in and get the support and the family and the camaraderie, and then you can be like, okay, bye. <laughs> I, I just pictured a giant pastry case, like, beautiful croissants. And, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Someone in a big chef's hat. <laughs> right. <laughs> Keep coming back. Uh, yeah, that would be great. So we recently got the chance to check out Studio Headphones. What did you think, Inez? 
I like them. The ones I got were the Regent, which is their premium on-ear model, and they're super white and really cute, and the sound quality is great. How about you? I also got the Regent in black because it's like my soul, and <laughs> was super impressed that they didn't feel like they were squeezing my head. And you can also plug it in, or you can use the Bluetooth on it. And one of the great things about Studio is that they provide free worldwide shipping, which is great because that means you can get their sleek modern Scandinavian design anywhere. The best part, besides the great sound quality, the comfort factor, the fashion factor, and the Scandinavian design, is that they are offering listeners of XX Will Travel a discount of 15%. Just use the code WILLTRAVEL and get your own. And visit them at studio.com. So, I mean, we kind of touched upon this before where it's like you didn't really go out at night. You're not someone who necessarily likes to meet people at bars, you know, or anything like that, which is usually where like people who are traveling alone tend to go to meet people. But do you have any tips for sober travelers who maybe do want to socialize, but, you know, a bar is not going to be the, the right place? Or we like to advise if you're having dinner by yourself, go sit at the bar, which would probably not be... A desirable spot for a recovering um a person in recovery yeah i mean it's tough i i, I will say i don't really like to meet people <laughs> just like as a rule so you just like <laughs> cut all that off at the past yeah. you're like i don't have to deal with any of that yeah i've sort of always been that way too like even when i was a drunk i was not a, a like cute let's meet a new friend kind of drunk yeah. I was like let's find a new friend um so that's you know partly why I don't drink anymore <laughs> yeah it didn't was not good at playing well with others but just in general like I I'm not I've never been really good at at meeting new people but yeah so so with traveling too it's I've I've also always been traveling with a purpose like I went down mm -hmm. to Disney World for the half marathon and I went to um I went to Dallas for a, a, a performance festival. So I kind of had the thing that I was focusing on. Um, this really was the first trip that I was like just there to be there. But I think it's also how I was raised to take vacations where I have a, I have a really big family. So I have five brothers and one sister and two parents. And, you know, I think my parents probably were like, we need to program, we need to keep these kids busy because there's too <laughs> goddamn many of them. So whenever we went on vacation, it was like, let's go hiking. Let's go to this place. Let's go to this beach. Let's go to this museum. Let's, you know, let's be yeah. going and moving and seeing everything. We're not really like loungy type of vacation people, which since adding wives and girlfriends to the family, they're kind of like, oh, okay, I guess this is how we have to take vacations now. <laughs> like, oh, this is a tall family vacation, right. so we're all going to be exhausted by the end of it. Like, no one gets well rested. So I think that's part of it, too, is that my goal in Paris was like, okay, I'm going to see as many pieces of art as possible. I'm going to go see all the tourist sites. The idea of spending an evening just kind of seeing who I run into is just not as not interesting to me and again the murder factor right <laughs> the murder factor is really high for me yeah. which is strange because I've never been murdered so I don't know why <laughs> I think it's gonna happen but it's a life experience I'm proud that yeah. I have not had and it's harder to do that <laughs> as a solo traveler yeah and I feel like especially as a solo trap solo traveler who's not 22 because right now like 
I'm jaded about people. And I was, <laughs> yeah. I was still jaded at 22, but now I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, yeah, yeah, I look at everybody as a murderer. Right? Like, I, I don't know how much more cynical I could get about strangers that I'm like probably gonna just like slit my throat. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. not a lot of like sweet, innocent, welcoming energy. Right? Me. I know. I feel like in terms like if I had to give my tolerance of people an age, like I have the tolerance of people of an eighty year old. I think also in our younger years hormones push you to socialize so much in ways that I hadn't really accepted when I was 21. Like now I realize, well, at 21, I probably wanted to make out with anyone and everyone that would have me. And that would lead me to talking and like wanting to meet people and all that. But now like, I know that quality is better than quantity. Right. <laughs> exactly. And most men are trash. I'm a straight woman. <laughs> you know, so it's like... Tragically, also a heterosexual yeah. woman. Right. So. When you can watch a Harrison Ford movie, right. what do right. you... Like, I watched... Well, I was in Paris. <laughs> I watched the movie Frantic, which I had never seen before, which takes place in Paris and is him trying to get his wife back. He has a lot of, like, get my kids back, get my wife back. You know, I'm yeah. in an airplane kind of movies. <laughs> and yeah, he definitely, like, at one point is... He takes all his clothes off. Oh! So it's, 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 it is, it is, it is very, it is a movie. So, <laughs> yeah, so fuck you, French Tinder. I just like watched that movie and it was fine. You, right? had, you had your romance. You exactly. had a Parisian romance in another way. A Parisian romance with a man who's never let you down. Yeah. <laughs> never. Well, I have a question just going back um, to maybe this idea of like, you know, being in a group. I mean, you you stayed with people who I assume you are close with. It seems we actually you... didn't know each other that well, which oh. is a, which is a really interesting thing. I actually met it was my friend and, and her husband, and I met her husband like when I walked in the door. Okay, um, and I was like, oh, nice to meet you. But they're former Chicagoans. I feel like we're much closer now yeah. because <laughs> we spent these two weeks together. So yeah, well, but they knew about um, your recovery. Yes, yeah. yes. So I mean. Or I guess in general, what tips would you have for someone, you know, for a sober traveler who might need to have that talk with either people they're staying with or with people they're traveling with? I mean, and and that's the kind of the hard thing about recovery is that everybody deals with it differently. I tend to deal with it very loudly and very fear factory, I guess, where I like I perform in bars a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I, I hang out with with my friends who drink and I'm for me, the power is being able to be around alcohol and know that I am specifically choosing every second to not engage with it. Um, I know other people that they're in their recovery, they would they like to create a world where there's not alcohol or, mm. or substances or whatever it is. And so it's, it's, it's hard, you know, everybody has to figure out their own comfort level with it. And I know in my first year of recovery, I was very sequestered, did not like to be around alcohol at all. So I, I, I tend to always say, define your boundaries with people. Boundaries are the most important thing. And it, is, it boggles my mind when people don't agree with that, that or they don't adhere to boundaries that people set. And so it just feels so good to be clear about what you want and how you want to live your life. You know, sometimes I'll tell people like I'm gonna I'm gonna step outside if you're gonna smoke, mm -hmm. and I I don't like I don't need people to necessarily modify their behavior around me, but I do need to know, let them know when it is affecting me. 
Um, or I've, I've been in situations where I've been like, all right, everybody's drunk and I'm going to leave because I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. Not because I'm angry uh, or because like they shouldn't have done that, but I don't want to be around drunk people. Which happens to the best of us, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And sometimes it's just kind of like, all right, you know, this like people are tipsy and I don't want to be here anymore. And then, uh, especially and with with marijuana, uh, it's it's mostly like I don't want to smell that. I don't mm-hmm. want to feel like I am a part of that experience. So I will tell people like, okay, I just need to know I can go into another room, or can you go into another room? I got to say, usually, as soon as I let people know that I'm sober, which is pretty early on in relationships with people, I'm I'm lucky that people have been pretty uh, courteous, Mm -hmm. where people will say, is it okay if I smoke? Is it okay if I drink? And in a way that doesn't feel condescending, in a way that just feels like, oh, hey, I I care about you and I want to make sure you're going to be okay. And so the people that I stayed with were were kind of like that as well. I I don't think that they're particularly big drinkers, but... Mm -hmm. It was kind of, do you mind if I get a glass of wine? Or like, do you mind if this happens? And I'm like, no, that's totally fine. I mostly need to know that I can escape. I need to have a route. I need to have a place. I I need to have a room I can go. I need to have a porch I can go stand on. I just need to know that that's an option for me. Mm -hmm. And also, it wasn't really the case with Paris, but being able to tell people like, hey, we're out at a bar. I'm going to go home now. Um, And so just defining that it's not... It's not personal. It's not to and to not take it personally if people are going to drink, if people do want to engage in substances, and just kind of knowing like if that's not okay with you to say upfront. Yeah. You know, it's it's harder to say that once that person has begun drinking, or like when your travel partner is drunk, to then say like, oh, I don't want to be around a drunk person. So you kind of you kind of have to figure out how kind of have to figure out how how you're going to feel about it and what you want. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because you seem very open and you have very clearly defined boundaries. And I traveled with someone in recovery who did not. Mm. Um, and it wasn't a total nightmare, but um, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I had to be the one, especially since travel is such a high stress situation. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I had to be the one. Like I went to my therapist and was like, "I'm traveling with someone in recovery." do I bring it up? And she's like, she hasn't brought it up yet. And I was like, no. And she's like, yeah, (laughs) you know, you bring it up. So like, just as someone, if you know this about a person before, well before the trip, if you're traveling with someone, it's a good idea. And I kind of asked her the same stuff. Like, is it okay if I drink? Like, if you need to be by yourself, tell me no, tell me that you need to be by yourself. All on the advice of a therapist. Um, But just, it's not that hard to establish them if the person's open to it and you seem super open yeah. and self-aware yeah and I think it's also about you know unfortunately I think you can um you can say to yourself like okay well the I'll be I'll be fine if this person drinks I'll be fine if this mm-hmm. person wants to stay out and then it gets to that moment and whatever boundaries you might have established could go out the window and that person's like I need to get out of here right now I need you to not be drunk right now mm-hmm. and unfortunately that's unreasonable that's not possible. You know, you can't, and this is, I think, the, the difficulty with relationships uh, between recovery and non-recovery people where I'm, you know, friends will say, is it okay if we, if I have a drink and all that? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But I've also then been around people who 
get a little bit drunk and I'm like, oh, no, wait, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. But I can't control that and they can't. But I also don't want them to modify their behavior, you know. So it's, unfortunately, it is the kind of thing where I don't know that I would ever say, like, I'm so consistent Mm -hmm. and I know exactly what I'm going to want from this person. But you can, you know, do your best to try to be self-aware. Which is, that's hard for, like, what do you want from anybody? Right. Yeah. Like, sober right. or in recovery, or, like, whatever. It's normal. Normal. <laughs> not, not a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> the normies and the recovery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems also like the, the reverse of this, too, is if you're a person who doesn't struggle with addiction issues, but you're traveling with someone who does, it seems like the best thing we can do is also be very respectful of their boundaries and not be that friend who's like, come on, you can stay out, you'll be fine, Which, or anything and, like and that. And I think the challenge is, as the, the person who's not in recovery, you don't want to infantilize the person mm-hmm. yeah. or like be too hand-holdy or be like, are you okay? Right. right. Kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. especially since, yeah, rapport is also important. Yeah, because yeah. I've definitely had people like, one time I was at an event and this guy who was kind of in charge of like booking me onto the event that was about mental health and recovery he was drinking a beer because it was an event and there was beer and I came over to be like thank you so much for having me and he went oh my gosh hold on one second and he like turned around and put his beer on the table and was like Huh, sorry. Oh my oh. god! And then like shook my hand, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm not a werewolf." It's not like, like, oh my god, it's happening. Um, he didn't. He didn't hand sanitize in case there were like yeah. traces of beer on his hand. I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> um, yeah, that was very like that was really condescending. But it was also I could see that he was like, "I want to do the right thing. I want this person to feel comfortable." Um, and so if he and I were like, if he and I were friends, I would have said, what, you, what the hell are you doing? Stop. Right. And, and it's important to like follow, even if you're being super condescending and you don't know you are, to be like, <laughs> I'm doing this because I want to support your sobriety and I love you and I want to have a good vacation. Right. Like, <laughs> I feel like that makes things a little better. And I think what's really hard for all people, but a lot of times what's really hard for people in recovery is not taking things personally. Mm. Not everybody has these issues that we have, which is very frustrating because there are some days where I think, like I think about Carrie Nation, who was this really avid prohibitionist. She was this woman in history where she took an ax and she would walk into bars and chop the bars up during the prohibition All or right. chop up speakeasies <laughs> up. She's a, it's a Halloween costume goal that I need to, <laughs> to put on it. But some days I feel like that, where I'm just like, if everyone if everyone stopped drinking, if they got rid of all the alcohol and all the bars, like it'd be so much easier for me. And everybody would be so much happier, right? Because I'm happier now that I don't drink and everybody should share in my joy, blah, blah, blah. But it's my journey. It's my experience. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a different relationship with, food, with alcohol, with substances, with their mothers, with their refrigerators, whatever. So you can't take it personally and you can't make it about you all the time. Mm -hmm. Like someone else having a drink is not about me. Somebody else getting too drunk is not about me. Now, if that person comes up to me while they're drunk and says, you know, says shit to me or like, I don't know, wants to get in a fight or says, I'm so sorry that I drank in front of you because I feel bad about the way I drink. I'm like, okay, well then maybe this is something that we should talk about. It does have something to do with me. Mm-hmm. But people wanting to drink to have a good time has nothing to do with me. 
And it is my greatest nightmare that things have nothing to do with me. Because I like to think that everything has something to do with me. That everybody's thinking about me all the time. Um, oh, theater major. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's a really difficult thing, too. And I think, you know, for anybody, but for people in recovery, if we can get to a place where we figure out what is it about what we need and how we can process through that if not by ourselves, then with our people, with our support group, you know, somebody having a drink at the restaurant at the table next to you, it doesn't have anything to do with you. Now, however, if, if you are feeling like you're having a bad day and somebody's having a drink at the table next to you and you get that feeling and you are feeling that loaded gun in your pocket, then move to another table. Get yourself to safety wherever that is. So how do you think travel has changed for you now that you're doing it? sober versus like when you did it you know while you were immersed in alcoholism yeah yeah well I didn't do a ton of traveling when I was drinking um other than like family trips Mm -hmm. and those didn't go so great when I was drinking Uh, but I tended not to drink too much around my family we weren't um we were not a big drinking family Mm -hmm. we're not a big drinking in public family we are our extended family is um we favor drinking in private and ignoring our mental health issues. <laughs> that is a, that's a really big part of being Irish Catholic. Yeah, I was kind of like, when I kind of came out as being an alcoholic, it was like, oh, and these 10 other people in our extended family. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, well, that would have been good to know. Like, that would have been nice to at least have a point of reference or to understand our, you know, incredible genetic predisposition it to it It explains all. a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, and our family is very, um, yeah. It's uh, there's there's a, a quote that I'll steal from Arsenic and Old Lace where insanity runs in my insanity runs in my family it practically gallops <laughs> so I, I like that um, so yeah so I didn't do a ton of, of of traveling I traveled with my brother and my sister we went to Orlando so we we spent a day at Disney World and then we spent a day at the celebration. Uh, National Star Wars, International Star Wars convention that they have every few years. Um, And that was an interesting trip because, you know, I had so much fun and we were, I was like 24 and my brother was, I think, 25 and my sister was about 16 or 17. So we had this really wonderful, magical time. And then I was like, okay, where, like, where are we going to drink? Like, can now, where we, where's that going to be? And my sister is a teenager. So, and my brother was like, well, we're just going to go back to the hotel because, She's a child, and we're all very sleepy. And I was like, okay, well, let's stop at the store real quick, though. Because, like, we got to yeah. stop at the store because I can't, like, we can't, I can't not be drinking. Um, so I ended up buying a bottle of wine, realizing that I didn't have a bottle opener. So when we went to go eat somewhere, I, I stole the silverware from the restaurant and put it in my purse. And then in the bathroom of the hotel, I was <clears throat> jimmying a corkscrew out of, a bent fork and a knife from the restaurant so that I could have a drink. I look back at that as kind of a low point, but at the time I was just like, well, this is how this has got to go. Like, I'm just going to bend this fork on the hotel bathtub and, like, create a corkscrew out of nothing. So that was kind of why I didn't travel a lot. (laughs) Um, Because I was also pretty aware of... That it, I was aware that I had an issue pretty early on in my drinking career that I, even though I didn't come to terms with it, I was aware that I had danger in me. So I kind of knew, and for a long time it was like, well, you know, I, I drink too much so I can't really be alone. 
ha ha, you know how it is. You can't like be by yourself because you might, you know, cause harm to yourself, like everybody. So I always surrounded myself with people, and I, um, yeah. So I, I just never really like the idea of getting my life together enough to plan a trip was just not where I was mm. at the time that I was drinking. Yeah, I, I, I know I, I went on a, a trip with a person I was in a relationship for a long time, um, and it was a very enabling, uh, you know, it takes two to tango and it takes two to develop alcoholism. Mm. A big part of our relationship was, was drinking and getting drunk. And so we went, to, we went on a trip to Seattle, and that was a really great trip. Like we had a really fun time and it was kind of at the tail end of our relationship and neither of us, I think, really realized that we were, we like hated each other so much. <laughs> so it was like nice to go to a, a new place and be like, oh wow, maybe we're not miserable. And like, yeah. maybe looking at you doesn't make me want to scream and, and die. But we'd get back to the hotel room and it was like, again, that same kind of, okay, well now I'm going to drink until I pass out and wake up in the morning and be hungover and then try to go to the Space Needle, but, like, I'm going to, you know, puke again or, or mm-hmm. have a terrible headache. So traveling wasn't really fun. Not, I mean, doing anything wasn't really fun when I was drinking. So the idea of, like, trying to go somewhere was just not yeah, not really my wheelhouse. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah, it's a big long... Monologue. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, I find it really interesting because I've heard. I think it was Mark Marin who, whatever. I have conflicting like yes, <laughs> opinions about yes. him. I like love him so much, and then I'm like, wait. But he's also like <laughs> the worst. But you know, he's been really open about his own struggles, and one of the things he says, it's like, well, what people don't like to say about like drugs and alcohol is that they're fun, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what he misses the most. And I think, I mean, clearly for you, it wasn't reflected in travel, but just having been surrounded by people who have also dealt with alcoholism, a lot of times travel was where they were just like, I'm allowed to be an alcoholic, you know? Um, And so like, it was this thing that like they sought because for them it's like, well, I have no responsibility. So you can't criticize my alcoholism. And the rules don't apply when you're traveling or there's a new set of rules, a fun set of rules. Yeah, and no consequences because you're not, I mean, if you go into a bar and, you know, one of my own experiences, if you go into a bar and you start screaming at people or you like start uh, fighting with someone or like you even hook up with somebody or you fall off a bar stool or something none of those people are going to see you the next right. day like you don't have to see them you don't have to go back to that bar like it is it's it's as if it didn't happen yeah and i think that's a really scary thing um especially for people in recovery and dealing with alcoholism and drugs is like sometimes these things are are so fuzzy or so um they feel like dreams Mm -hmm. and then it feels like oh that didn't really happen and it's like well no it did yeah it did happen and whether you remember it or not somebody remembers it it happened to somebody you know so now that you know you're sober like or at least with this trip to paris like how did you feel about travel like is it something you want to do again Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely made it feel possible for mm-hmm. me to travel. Because um, I've done a, a couple of trips 
since I've been sober. Um, but again, like I said, they were all event-based. Yeah. But the idea that I could go to a, a country and have no real sense of the language and a lack of structure and uh, I could have done whatever I wanted there and I decided to do all of the things that made me really happy and in a very safe and responsible way. It was a little bit of a like, oh, I can trust myself to do mm. this. And not only can I trust myself, but like I can, I like doing that. I can have a good time. And frankly, like traveling alone, I've traveled alone more than I have with other people. But I really do like being able to do what I want to do when yeah. I want to do it. Heck yes. Yeah. Heck yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't have to have these conversations about boundaries or I don't have to, to figure out what the other person's going to want to do. I don't have to cater to anybody else's needs. I can just do what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and while that might get, it does get uh, a little bit lonely and you do feel like, man, I wish I could, you know, show somebody what I'm looking at right now. It's... It's it's really nice to not have to be like, oh, you don't want to go in there? Okay, I guess we won't go in there. Or, oh, you want to go do that thing? I guess we'll go to that thing. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's probably why French Tinder didn't work out too well for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of like, do you want to uh, like cater to my every need and whim? Because that's what I'm really interested yeah. in. <laughs> not getting murdered and getting to do whatever I want. Exactly. And, yeah, watching Frantic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and if you like Harrison Ford, that's a bonus. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Maybe the next time I profile, that should be, it's like, listen, we're watching Frantic with Harrison Ford. <laughs> Having cheese, yeah. you will not murder me. <laughs> End of story. Yeah, that's a good first date. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that sounds delightful. And I get to pick the cheese. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Well, thank you so much yeah. for yeah. sharing sharing your story. Yeah, it's 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 hard to share uh, like such intimate details of your life. Yeah, yeah. I always feel like I um, I my my thing is that recovery is such a is such an important part of my life and I I really do feel like I've gotten a second chance at life like how people who have near-death experiences must feel that I'm I'm very grateful that people have assisted and and allowed me to have a, a second chance at life and I find that um, <clears throat> I was in denial about addiction for so long because I didn't feel like I had a lot of great examples of it. You know, you kind of have examples of like, hey, this is a 45-year-old person who's now in recovery, mm -hmm. or this is someone who is in their late 50s and is finally, you know, getting getting in recovery and going to AA. Um, but I didn't see a lot of people who were my age. I mean, I was 26 when I got sober, so it was very... I, I didn't feel like I had uh, any anyone else to look at, and so I feel like if I can at least be, oh, that loud bitch, uh, <laughs> you know, for people that, that hopefully I can be, uh, you know, just a little bit of a beacon. I mean, my, my kind of big thing about whatever your trauma is, because God knows we all have some trauma, especially uh, in the current world we live in, that it's it's our responsibility to uh, once you've made it through the darkness you have to go back with the torch mm -hmm. yeah. and get everybody else yes oh, I love that yeah yeah, yeah. Well, um, wrapping up. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks to Eileen um, for for sharing this story and giving some advice to to listeners who might be contemplating taking a trip while sober or you know 
Yeah, or traveling with someone. Yeah. In recovery. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, that's it. So, yeah. where can people find you before we go? Or like, do you have shows coming yeah. up? Yeah. Well, I am. Um, I'm pretty much the only Eileen Tall on the internet, except for one other Eileen Tall. Um, she's a, a woman who lives in uh, Maryland, I think, and she does uh, flower shows, and she's oh, really oh. great. Good for you, Eileen. But every other uh, Google hit is me, <laughs> and I think she she gets annoyed uh, at me sometimes. But <laughs> sorry, sorry, Eileen. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Eileen. Like you keep doing you. Um, so pretty much any Eileen Tall is me. But uh, yeah, I I'm not doing too much right now. I'm I'm focusing more on um, just kind of, uh, I, I te- I, I'm an educator now at the Park District, and so I teach a lot of classes. So if you're interested in any classes about mm-hmm. theater, or um, I'm teaching senior stretching, I'm Ooh. teaching tiny tot dance. <gasps> oh, teaching... tiny tot dance! Mm-hmm. That's so cute. <laughs> oh yeah, it's super cute. And I just put on Frozen and I take a nap. No, I'm just <laughs> um, but yeah, so I teach a lot of classes, and then I uh, also run. Uh, Sappho Salon, like mm-hmm. we said, at Women and Children First Bookstore. And that's, um, we've moved to a new schedule where every couple of months, but um, we do a show there every few months, and then we also do a lot of service work. Um, we partner with uh, a transitional housing facility, and so we bring storytelling and sandwiches nice. there. So if anyone's interested in getting involved, they can get in touch with me there. And yeah. And if you want to get in touch with us, <laughs> you can find us at xxworldtravel.com or you can sign up for our newsletter. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at xxworldtravel. We have a group now. Yes. What? It is the XX Will Travel podcast community. <laughs> it sounds very serious as I said that. So come check us out. Meet some like-minded women or women identifying travelers. And you can find us on iTunes, Podbean, or any other podcatcher. And if you can't, let us know, and we will be caught by that, <laughs> by that pod. Yes. So um, on that note, go forth and travel. Mm-hmm.